0: Welcome back to the Laravel Podcast Season 4. Today we're going to be talking about your local development environment with Chris Brown, Joe Ferguson, and Jose Soto. Stay tuned. All right. Welcome back to the Laravel podcast season four. Uh, Each topic is about a single episode that we try to really focus on uh, trying to bring this conversation both in a way that brings something new um, to people who've been using Laravel for ages, but also trying to make it really approachable and understandable for people who are brand new to the Laravel community. So today we're going to be talking about Uh, local development environments. We're talking about Valet, we're talking about Homestead, we're talking about Docker. And for those of you who aren't familiar, um, Valet and Homestead are official Laravel projects. um, And so they're going to be uh, talking about um, how Laravel actually specifically recommends you work with them and then docker is a tool that there's a lot There is um, some unofficial Laravel projects But also some just very unofficial tooling and ideas and ways you can work with that So we're going to be talking about three different things so because of that we're gonna have three different guests So my guests this week are Chris Brown Joe Ferguson and Jose Soto and just in case anybody worries that I like one of them more or less than the Others or I like the technologies more or less than the others uh, I, I chose to alphabetize by last name so that we didn't have any concerns about that so for this particular Particular one, um, we are just going to be going uh, every single question. I'm going to start with Chris talking about Valet, Joe talking about Homestead, and Jose talking about Docker, so that you can always know with each question that's the order it's going to go. So, can each of you, in that same order, introduce yourselves real quickly to the people?
1: Sure, I'm Chris Brown. I've been doing open source development on a e-commerce platform called ZenCart. Lots of procedural code, but it's a well-established platform for about 15 years. And recently, I've been doing maintenance on the Valet project. You'll see me on GitHub as Dr. Byte, and that's pretty much what you need to know about me.
2: Hi, I'm Joe Ferguson. I have been a professional developer for about 15 years. I, uh, more recently, the past several years, have had a big focus on uh, system administration, uh, specifically around CentOS and Linux and Ubuntu, uh, some of the other various uh, flavors, Uh, focused on DevOps and security and uh, infrastructure.
3: Hi, I'm Jose Soto. Um, I'm a lead programmer at Titan, and you may have seen me online at Twitter at JoseCanHelp. I'm an outspoken uh, user of Docker, so I'm here to talk a little bit about my Docker usage and how I think other developers can benefit from it.
0: Yep, And you might have um, seen Joe on various PHP community-related stuff, but also um, as the I think the primary maintainer of Homestead right now. And Jose has done um, a podcast with the Titan Podcast 20% Time, and then also a video with Laracast about Docker as well. So you've probably seen them in those places as well. So thank you, all three of you, for joining me. It is a total pleasure to have you all on the call. Um, I am currently recording from my home office. Um, it's a different home office than it was, so it's, uh, I'm trying to get all my echoes right. But the biggest bummer is I don't have a second monitor, so I can't see you all. And I just realized how much having video of the people I'm talking to matters to me. So I'm a little I'm feeling a little disconcerted right now, but I think we're gonna make this work. So um, so okay, so the beginning of every single episode this season, remember, the main thing that we want to start with is, if you had to describe this topic to a five year old, how would you describe it? So obviously, there's going to be some very similar pieces here between all three of you. But, you know, so maybe this one might be a little bit less appropriate for five-year-old. You know, maybe we're going to move up to 10-year-olds or, you know, really early-level developers. But let's just start. What's the simplest possible way you can describe Valet, Chris, Laravel Valet, um, at, at, to someone who knows nothing about it? You know, a five-year-old if you can, if not just someone who really knows nothing about Valet.
1: Sure. When developing or testing a website, you've got to be able, obviously, to use it preferably without affecting the live production, real live website. So it's very common to want to have the ability to stage run that actual website right directly on your own PC. So on your Mac, Valet lets you do that directly by running Nginx and PHP right there on your own computer. It also helps set up SSL certificates and do DNS resolution and even allow sharing to outside resources for remote testing. And all of that without the overhead of Docker or virtual machines.
0: Ooh! <laughs> all right, the fire is here. We're we're ready to go. All right, Joe. If you had to explain Homestead, and again, you know, these ones are a little bit. We're talking about nginx and SSL certs, so it's obviously not all five year olds. But the simplest possible way that you can explain Homestead in a kind of similar way that Chris just did valet.
2: Yeah. So the the Basic introduction to Homestead and and what it is, is is it's a way to run a server on your machine uh, with the key differences being that it is emulating uh, or virtualizing every piece of a server. So you're using a virtual CPU, uh, your, your CPU on your host machine is virtualizing a virtual CPU, virtual hard drive, video card drivers, all that fun stuff for an entire virtual operating system. Uh, So it's like uh, running another computer in your computer that is completely self-contained and isolated into its own environment. Uh, And you can custom configure and provision and spin up and destroy these machines uh, at will. And you can restore them to a known working good state relatively quickly. Uh, And it's just a good self-contained, don't have to install too many tools on your host uh, to
0: be able to use. All right. Thank you, Joe. And Jose, what about Docker? And I know that Docker is probably the hardest one. So if you could give us just a little bit of an idea of what Docker is and then kind of what Docker in development looks like. I know there's a couple different contexts. Absolutely. There, so. Yeah.
3: Um, I had a real struggle trying to think of how to make this uh, palatable for a five-year-old, but um, I'll, I'll do my best. So um, Docker in a way is, uh, it's a way to virtualize small services uh, and in- In doing so, being able to host an entire application. So wrapping application into smaller containers, Uh, being able to run them all on a similar machine and it being more efficient than using something like Homestead, which virtualizes your entire operating system. Docker can take smaller services and use, uh, use the same resources to run those and virtualize those in a containerized environment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's good. And uh, a few more gauntlets thrown here and there. So I'm <laughs> I'm going to, now that they have, have given you the basics, I'm going to give the simple version. And this simple version wouldn't have been enough. So I appreciate you guys giving a little bit more in-depth versions. In my perspective, Valet is, so let's let's say to run a development environment, whether it's production or, or local or anything like that, you need things like uh, Nginx and you need things like PHP and you need things like MySQL. So Valet installs those things on your Mac really easily. Homestead spins up, uses Vagrant and VirtualBox and stuff like that to spin up a fake little computer, you know, virtualized is the word we're using, but it's basically like a whole pretend computer running in a process on your computer and installs all those things on that. And then Docker allows you to spin up a whole bunch of little fake mini pieces of computer, each of which have individual pieces. So Homestead and Docker are very similar in that the things that are serving your website are within little containers. They're in with the little within little virtualized pieces of, um, you know, computer that are running on your computer. Um, but Homestead is all in one and Docker can be all in one. And I think that might be what Vessel's like, but Jose, you can tell more about it, but often Docker's, you know, a little bit at a time. Homestead's all in one and then Valet is all in one, but that one is your computer. And there's pros and cons with all that one being your, your computer. So kind of three different approaches that share certain pieces for sure. So we've already gotten a tiny bit into the selling points, but Chris, can you tell me for Valet, what is the biggest selling point of Valet and what technologies is it based on?
1: Sure. It's obviously based on NGINX and PHP, as I had kind of mentioned, running directly on your computer. But the the key thing, I think, that differentiates it is it's very close to the metal. It's, it's running directly on your own computer. So NGINX is running right there, PHP right there. It depends on Composer to install Valet. It uses Homebrew to manage package installation of all these services. It has DNS, sorry, DNS mask built in in order to do all the name resolution. And all of that's running right there. SSL certificate generation is done internally and managed into into the keychain of your OS. Those are the primary reasons why one would want it. There are, of course, limitations to it. And we will talk about some of those a little bit later, I'm sure. But uh, primarily when you want the speed of something right there and then, and you just want to get running that it's a great option to start with
0: yeah so you have the speed both with the bear the metal but you're also saying the speed of how quickly you can get it set up right yeah, and Valley bundles a lot of that for you. All right, so Joe, can you tell us a little bit about the selling point? Not just a vagrant, you know, VirtualBox or whatever else, VMware, but what is the biggest selling point of Homestead and what technologies is it based on? And I know I said a couple there, but could you go in a little bit more deep? Sure, depth?
2: so Homestead is based around uh, the fact that you, the developer, may not know how to install Linux and you shouldn't have to install Linux, let alone PHP or any of these other server uh, tools or software. Uh, and it's it for the user that doesn't care about understanding some of that. Uh, it's written in Ruby, so it's, uh, it's cross-platform, runs on macOS, Linux, and Windows, mostly the same way. Uh, Vagrant itself uses is an API consumer, is the easiest way to think about it, and it uh, consumes the APIs of a provider, which would be VMware, VirtualBox, Parallels, or Hyper-V on whichever platform you prefer. And the, the big thing for me that makes the most sense about Homestead is it's prepackaged, ready to go out of the box in around 60 seconds on a recent Mac and at runtime. So that's a pretty strong statement uh, for spinning up a dev environment. Or if you prefer to spin up your dev environment through Composer, I can install Homestead in just about any modern PHP application in three steps as long as you're using Composer. So it's really self-contained and kind of the everything in a box, but that does come with trade-offs. There's a size factor, there's some processing time factor, there's RAM usage, uh, but it's all about trade-offs. But homestead is the exact one-to-one replica if you're using ubuntu 1804 in production Uh, if you're not using production it's close Uh, it is closer in my opinion than running uh, valet because valet is on your mac but it's kind of a trade-off if you're on a lower end machine valet is amazing if you're on a really beefy machine you may not notice the trade-offs between docker and, and vagrant uh, if you're on a Mac, you'll probably definitely notice the trade offs between Vagrant and Docker just because of memory management and how these technologies exist on the Mac platform.
0: All right. Thank you. And Jose, for you, what's the biggest selling point of using Docker in development? And what are the um, major options? I know it's not just that there's technologies based on, but there's different ways you can use it and different kind of pre-made groups of Docker tools for the Laravel world. So what's the biggest selling point and what are the major options um, when you're thinking about using Docker for local Laravel development?
3: So I think one of the, the bigger selling points for using Docker is similar to Homestead. You're, you're going to be able to run the same application on any environment. It's going to make it exactly the same no matter where, where you run it. Um, the biggest, the biggest difference in, in my opinion is that you can, you can, uh, pick smaller pieces of what you want to, um, virtualize using the Docker environment versus Homestead. Homestead does tend to be a little beefier. Like, like Joe was saying, it tends to be a little heavier on your systems. Um, and with Docker kind of, uh, Using the same resources for multiple containers, it's less of a factor, especially if you're running uh, multiple containers, whereas if you're running multiple homestead environments, it, it will take up a lot more space on your system. Um, as far as the options go for using Docker for for level development, um, you can either you can go the route that it's kind of meant to be used and and encapsulate an entire application and be able to deploy that using your Docker files or Docker Compose files. Um, however, you can also use it if you're similar to how Valet is not really meant for uh, deployment to production, you can do use the same mentality in using Docker for your local development environment and just have it facilitate some of those services that your application requires. Um, so that's really you can you can do- Docker is very flexible in its use in its usage where you can use it in a very um, production ready focused environment, or just get something working on my machine and have it uh, containerized so that none of the other services are, are conflicting with it.
0: That totally makes sense. Um, And when we're talking about using Docker, if you're using Docker, the the, kind of, you mentioned the, the the way it was meant to be used, meaning kind of like you have a single container that's kind of containing all of that. There's Laradoc and Vessel. Are there any other common ones that are kind of prepackaged like that? There's lots of tools
3: out there. I think Laradoc and Vessel are are some of the more more used ones.
0: Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, those... and those, those two both kind of have that same assumption, right? Where you have a single Docker container with all your dependencies. So you're kind of using Docker a little bit like Homestead or not? Yes.
3: Yeah, so Vessel, uh, Vessel. okay. So let's start with, with Laradoc because Laradoc is, is the, the the bigger beast. It, there's
0: tons of services
3: yeah. that, that it, it allows. Um, it, it really wraps up your entire application in, uh, in containers and allows those containers to mm-hmm. communicate with each other. You have a full-on networks, uh, virtual networks communicating with each other. That is the, the production ready focus is if you could use Laradoc mm. for that. Um, not to say Vessel isn't. We'll get to that. Um, but Laradoc has a lot more options. Vessel is, is more of mm-hmm. a, an opinionated version of that where, where there are Got less it. services available. Um, and you just kind of have this, a smaller, um, yeah, smaller subset of services that you would require to run your, your application. So I would, I would liken to, to kinda like in to kind of like the bigger beast and vessels kind of like the, the, the MAMP of, of Docker environments. Um, so that, that's, that's how I would differentiate the two. They're both great services and I've I've played around with both of them.
0: Um, and I know that, sorry, I'm asking more questions for Jose than anybody else, but I think he's, he has the, he covers the broadest range of options here. There's one other way of thinking about it, which you have talked a little bit in your, in your few, a few of your common ones where what you often do, you know, and I'm going to tell a simple version, um, you've talked about how you instead spin up individual containers for individual services. Um, are, could you tell us a little bit about your way of working with Docker for local development?
3: Sure. Um, I think. The the simplest way to think of of how I use it is um, instead of using Brew to install uh, services locally on my system, I use Docker to containerize it as a daemon running on my system. Uh, and in that way, I, I can you I can work just like I'd be working as though it's a local server. Let's just say my SQL server. I, I set up my environment files in my in uh, Laravel exactly the same way using localhost, the same port 3306. It's as if it's running locally, but it's actually containerized in, in a Docker container. And mm-hmm. what that allows me to do is just kind of pick and choose the specific services that I want. And I can even share those across different applications, which I do. Um, but yeah. it, it it's really... Uh, a facilitator i I use that that term quite a bit because that's all it really is it's it's like a, it's it's what i use to communicate with those services instead of my local system and so my my flow really it's working with valet to to host all of my my sites across all of my, my repositories but then if one of those requires a mysql server i just turn on my, my Docker container, my MySQL Docker container, or if it requires Postgres, mm-hmm. I can boot up my, my Postgres container. Um, same with Redis, uh, any anything else, uh, my Elasticsearch, search, whatever it is I need, I just kind of have these like one-off containers that I boot up and uh, use, um, sorry, I'm, I'm blanking here. And I use, uh, I use like virtual hard drives essentially that I connect with those so that I persist my data. I can bring those containers up and down, but I have a persistent set of data that I use Got it. across those containers. So I can even destroy those containers and not have to worry about losing anything and bring those containers back up at the point that I need them.
0: That's helpful. And so I think that's the the helpful idea here for me is that We've got Valet, which is installing all the dependencies on your local machine. We've got Homestead, which is installing all the dependencies in a virtualized machine. And in Docker, there's at least two very distinct ways to do it. One of them is to install all your dependencies in a single Docker container using something like Lara Docker Vessel, which is very much like Homestead. And then you've also got Jose's of work, way of working, who I don't think I've seen many other people talk about, which is much more like Valet, but instead of using Homebrew to install the dependencies, you're using individual Docker containers to, to, to install dependencies. So we have kind of have four ways of working, and of the two Dockers, one of them is a little bit more like Valet, and one is a little bit more like Homestead. Is that, Does that sound right, everybody? Right. With one, one
3: quick caveat, I just want to to yeah, say it's please. it's it's not one big container for, like let's say layer vessel it's not one yeah. big container it's it's a lot of multiple containers that you manage using your docker compose files so it kind of wraps it, yeah. them up as though it were one one application but there are multiple containers there're still it, individual that containers up. yeah mm-hmm.
0: No, thank you for that. And I, I kind of meant to clarify that because that's I think that's getting to the point where I lose my level of knowledge at Docker, but I appreciate you clarifying that, that <laughs> sure. as someone who actually understands it. So, okay, so we're talking about working with your own, you know, sites locally, and all three of you are programmers who work with sites locally. So obviously, you know, I brought you on because I think you have a connection to the particular tool you're in, but I would just say for each of you, you know, what is the tooling that you use for your local dev, both in terms of the things we're talking about now, but are there any other aspects that you you work with? And so I know I think for each of you, I'd just say, first of all, what do you work with? And let's say there has been any moment in the last few years where you use something other than your default. What was it and why? So Chris, what is your primary default when you're working in Laravel applications? And when have you recently reached for something other than Valet and why?
1: Sure. Well, obviously I'm using Valet all the time. Yeah. I, I find... Primarily, I use it because most of the work I'm working on is something that is direct, immediate. Uh, I'm running the code, testing something, developing something. I'm not needing to mirror production environments very closely at all, save for maybe a a major gap in PHP versions where there's serious breaking compatibility Mm -hmm. between things. But otherwise, most of the things I can test using a current modern PHP version and not need to downgrade to things so when I need to match production though that's when I I will reach for Homestead because I know I can easily downgrade to a much older PHP version Mm -hmm. I can let the related dependencies all be in place automatically as well and so that's kind of where I draw that line of distinction between the two. And I think that's probably the biggest reason why someone would want to skip valet temporarily if they're regularly using it to reach for something different Mm -hmm. because it's not meeting a need because it's not really designed to work with very old PHP versions. And with the ongoing drop of PHP version support by homebrew, I think they only support it back as far as 7.2 now. So PHP 7.2 is the latest that they're still supporting. And in the fall when PHP 8 comes out, who knows what they're going to do there too. So uh, when I need to go to something older than that, then I'm very tempted to not try and make valet work with the older ones. It can go back to 5.6, but it's complex. Uh, I'm much more likely to reach for homestead for that.
0: That's helpful. And Joe, before I ask you, Jose, do I remember correctly that you did something with trying to... Host an old version of PHP and Homebrew or something. That did that ever go anywhere?
3: Uh, it. I mean, I created it and it's. It was used a little bit. Um, I haven't really <laughs> taken a look at that. Uh, Got it. Lately, but yeah, I did create a, something where people can just install older versions of PHP that were no longer um, supported, and that was because we needed okay, cool. to do something similar. Install a local version yep. of an old PHP version, and yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thanks. All right. So Joe, what is your default tooling that you work with? Probably Homestead, but you know, I'll check. And when is the last time that you reach for something else and why? So
2: my default is really, it depends. Um, I, I touch, doc- okay. <laughs> I mean, I touch Docker and Homestead every day. Um, a lot of people think that right. I'm just hundred uh, percent invagrant. Uh, sorry. I, I touch Docker every single day for my day job as well as, uh, PHP development. Um, I I think for me, it comes down to what do I need? Uh, Do I just need a web server and a PHP binary? Then Valley will get me, heck, even the the internal server may get me what I need for that uh, particular exercise Mm -hmm. or whatever I'm working on. Uh, If I need some orchestration or if I need a couple of different services wired up, I'll instinctively just do that in Homestead because Homestead is already that. 99 percent installed and configured opinionated linux environment for me so i already know where to put things in order to have them kind of just magically work out of the box there uh, without having to stand up extra services on my machine like i would have to do in valet or in docker like i would have to if i was trying to do some kind of mix mash uh choice or or option uh but yeah it just really depends if i'm doing something that's just super involved uh you know Valet will get me a lot of the ways because I instinctively run a lot of services on my Mac uh, natively um, just because Mm -hmm. sometimes I want that speed. Uh, There's a lot of projects, especially uh, legacy projects that have a really large number of files and that will trigger sometimes, in some cases, depending on your setup, the vagrant issue that it has specifically with VirtualBox around sharing files and virtualizing those files from your Mac into the vm and a lot of people and that's why a a large portion of the php community has this really nasty taste of vagrant in their mouth because they had these horrible issues trying to figure out how to make these uh, vagrant machines work faster and they were just trying to virtualize too many files Uh, and ultimately that's Mm -hmm. just one of the trade-offs is if you want that instant access to millions of files in your repository valet is going to give you a much better file io than anything else
0: obviously you're definitely using more than one at the same time here. And I, Jose, I'm kind of expecting to get the same answer from you, but I'm curious, what what is the tooling for your default um, for local development? And when's the last time you work with something else and why?
3: Sure. Uh, Matt, you may not know this, but at Titan, we work with lots of different clients. We oh, have yeah. lots of different environments. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're constantly yep. working with, with, you know, the clients will come to us with uh, fully hashed out Docker files that we'll, we'll mm-hmm. work with. Sometimes they'll come to us with just a you know, plain site that we can run through Valet. So it really just changes on the, depending on what the client has. But mm-hmm. 90% of, of my local development environment work is using Valet and Docker for maybe one or two extra services. Um, for the most part, I don't, I don't start up new projects with a fully hashed out Docker Compose file. Um, mm-hmm. my, my go-to is just valet and, uh, maybe a, a, MySQL container or something along those lines.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, the majority of coding that I do these days where I'm actually doing the whole thing from A to Z is side projects and fun stuff. So valet is the perfect fit for it. I just spun up a Laravel app. I'm trying to spin something out in a couple months and it's on a modern version of PHP and it's, it's complexity is not in. Its dependencies, its complexity is in getting something done interestingly as quickly as I can before I run out of time. So Valet is the dream. That's why I built Lambo as well. I just need to be able to get ideas out on you know virtual paper quickly. Um, I have not spun up Homestead in a long time, but we used Homestead for quite a few projects, especially legacy projects, and I still think the world of it um, when it's the right thing for it. And for the longest time, I fought Jose on Docker um but one day um you know i was doing my you know everything's installed by homebrew life and something totally borked on my mysql install um and i was just like oh my gosh i'm trying to reinstall start this all from scratch and blah 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 and Jose's like why don't you just try this idea i have and so he got me to download docker and run like three com- calls in the command line and all of a sudden i had a fully functioning um, mysql client and then very soon after that um, I needed Microsoft SQL, which you can't do with Homebrew. And he's like, Yeah, don't worry. I, I don't think, think I even to go to Jose. I just said, Oh, maybe I'll look it up. And it, again, three lines, because I've installed my, uh, Microsoft SQL on a Mac before and it was miserable in this three lines, five minutes. And I was just blown away. So I will say that like, I think Homestead 100% has a lot of value. I use Valet every day. Uh, I don't. I have never worked with the Laradoc and Vessel style Docker, but the Jose style Docker is is quickly becoming, uh, you know, one of my favorite additions to my Valley use case. So I've got I've got a little bit of all of y'all's uh, <laughs> stacks in my day to day work. So all right. So what is the most common challenge newcomers run into when they're trying to get familiar with or do more advanced work with your system of choice? And we'll start with Chris again with Valley
1: yeah i think one of the one of the things i meant meant to mention earlier is that valley doesn't require any special configuration per se to get it running you just tell it how to in fact it already knows to look at certain directories on your computer to serve from those so there's no custom configuration needed other than maybe just set up your .env file with the details for a certain project As long as you've got all that set up, it really just runs out of the box. But as far as common challenges, the things that that would be the gotchas in that regard are maybe having old applications set up in your global composer JSON file. Or you haven't updated Composer Global Composer in a while. So it's, I think it's a good idea to regularly run Composer Global Update and make sure you have the most recent things in there. And even uninstall Global things from your Composer Global Composer JSON. Remove stuff you're not using anymore or update version numbers and things like that. Otherwise you run into conflicts that just don't make sense and you probably aren't even aware of those issues going on. Similar with Homebrew, sometimes people don't run like the brew upgrade command. It will allow you to not only update all the lists of the recipes that Homebrew uses, but then of course also actually install the updated versions of different pieces. So that's how you can get a newer version of PHP and upgrade your Nginx to a more modern uh, version of the software itself. Same with DNS mask and other pieces. I think the probably the biggest challenge that people have is when they want to switch to older PHP versions, particularly what's not supported by homebrew anymore. And so that's where, as Jose had talked about and Matt talked about, uh, these custom taps that can be used to uh, reference or leverage an older version. They work, but sometimes you have to do some hand-holding. Another gotcha that you can run into is if you've got a o- much older macOS version, then sometimes the dependencies that are there by default in PHP, the pre-installed PHP version can create confl- conflicts because it's not compatible with the PHP code that we're using to actually write valet and run Composer itself. So. Um, Those are the primary challenges. And I think one of the other issues that people typically need to be able to navigate their way through is they just have the unknowns of the internals of how this all works. And probably this is the same with Homestead and Docker too. When our day-to-day work doesn't give us awareness and understanding of not just DevOps, that's an important piece of it, but all the rest of the internals of how these tools kind of actually sit in and integrate with your system, that's when you run into difficulties trying to troubleshoot. If something's just not working, how do you get there? How do you make that go? And I think valet... Has it's pros and cons in that because it depends very much on the metal. And so if you have other things going on in your OS, those can create conflicts. Whereas Docker and Homestead abstract that away. They separate that out of the picture. So as long as you can have those platforms running, you're not running into those difficulties. Uh, although you have issues within the containers or in the VM, then that's another story. But um, I think that's where you run into mostly common issues related to valet that's a big long list but really it's not all that complicated <laughs>
2: I, I really feel what you said that you're that that was gonna be the the not knowing how it works is gonna be really similar to docker and Homestead and I can't tell you how many times I I correct people on on how to use vagrant or how to how to interact with VMs and it, and it's really is one of those common challenges with homestead is just getting getting your head wrapped around what is a virtual machine and, and what is it actually doing let alone how does virtualbox work and uh, how does does VMware work? How does Hyper-V work? And then there's nuances to each provider in uh, that, that Homestead is able to use that you kind of have to know about. And if you're brand new to these technologies, you may not. Uh, you may not be aware of them. You may not know uh, some of the things. Uh, I just had to unfortunately break some bad news to a Homestead user the other day where uh, they had they opened an issue on GitHub and they had the problem where their, their SSL certificates had expired. And the, f- the problem is uh, Homestead's designed to be kind of short-lived, um, spin it up, destroy it, uh, and then come back to it when you need it. And we do all of this configuration at runtime. Uh, called Provisioning, which actually sets up Homestead for you. Uh, when you download Homestead and just install Homestead, it's Homestead for me. It, it's my opinionated Ubuntu Laravel box. Uh, when you actually run Vagrant up and it applies your configuration, it's now your Homestead. Uh, so that's how it spins up all your sites. But the some of the gotchas are not every provider works the same. So on some platforms, and some there's some differences. Like on Windows, networking is a bit of a pain if you're using Hyper-V. On, uh, on pretty much all the platforms, VirtualBox has issues with file sharing uh, where it can be really uh, bad performance or it can be really good performance and you'll have some other weird issues. The, uh, the thing that, I, that that kind of made me chuckle while you were talking about what uh, some of the gotchas with uh, Valet and, and having to deal with some of the issues with Homebrew is you know I thought to myself, well, at least when Homebrew goes bad, you don't get a Ruby stack trace like when Vagrant goes bad. I mean, you wanna you wanna anger a bunch of PHP developers, shove a Ruby stack trace in their face, and ask them to debug it.
3: <laughs> so true. I, I,
2: I mean, yeah. Vagrant is written in Ruby, so that's uh, everything. When you, whenever you throw a, an error, that's what you see is you you see a Ruby stack trace. Uh, if you didn't realize uh, Vagrant uh, was ru- written in Ruby, uh, so is Homestead. Uh, Homestead has been written in Ruby since day one. Uh, there is a Ruby class that translates your YAML to uh the actual configuration that gets applied to the box. So yeah, not knowing Vagrant or not knowing how to interact with these boxes, not knowing how these uh VMs should be treated, they should be treated like cattle, uh, not pets. Uh that's kind of a that's an engineering slash DevOps type of uh uh way of thinking. Uh to kind of you just you know let them be short-lived and, and kind of blow up. And that user that came to me and said, well, I have this, uh, this box. It's been, I, I, I did vagrant up in March of 2019. And honestly, I'm surprised this VM was still running because (laughs) that, that is definitely one of the longest VMs I've, I've heard about running, but it happens where people make these configuration changes or they get something working and they never turn it off. And that's a really big problem because Vagrant is designed to be configured and spun up. And you're supposed, if you make any changes to the environment, you're supposed to apply those in different places. And Homestead gives you the features to be able to do that. So if you need to have a file in one specific location, uh, Homestead has functionality to allow you to make that happen. And if you don't, then if you run Vagrant Destroy, which which will destroy the environment and then spin up a new environment, your files and everything will still be there because you're sharing them through the mapped folders, which is going to be similar to what Docker does with volumes. But the problem is any configuration or change you've done since... Isn't going to be applied. So then you're going to have to go figure out what you've done and apply all those back. So it's kind of a it, it's a vagrant is a lot and homestead is a lot to wrap your head around. But you don't have to know homestead like I do. You don't have to get to that level of homestead, especially if you don't want to. If you don't care about Linux servers, you know, don't you know? Go find what you're passionate about and get better at that. Uh, is my advice. Let me worry about homestead because I love this stuff.
0: That's great. Thanks for answering that. Now, uh, what about you, Jose?
3: so uh similar to to what Joe and and Chris both said you know the understanding of, of how it all works is it's super important and I think that's one of the more uh, challenging things for newcomers with docker um, in in my experience I, I come from a systems administration background and uh, I talked about this in, in the 20% time podcast but uh, having gone from just straight working on on servers to using something like Homestead, I, I had a better understanding of kind of how to manage it. I could SSH into into my machine, I could make some changes, uh, I could bring the machine down, bring it back up, and I knew more or less what was happening. Uh, but then jumping into Docker, it trying to transfer that knowledge over to Docker just didn't work because the system mm, is set up so differently. Um, you know, the whole, like, the, the ephemeral idea of, like, bringing up a, a Docker container, and bringing it down and, and the file system changing and understanding what parts of the file system change and what parts don't. It's a, it's a huge, uh, it's a big help to know that, but it's also a, a big, uh, hurdle that newcomers need to, to get over in order to use something like Docker efficiently on their local systems. And of course that it all comes along with, you know, Docker commands. And uh, there's there's, uh, you know, what what is Docker Compose and how do I use Docker Compose? When you start reading through the documentation, it's just there's so much data being thrown at you that if you don't really have someone to kind of lead you a little bit, um, it's it can get very overwhelming very quickly. And that led me to over the course of a couple of years, keep I just kept going back to Homestead because Docker just was so confusing for me. Yeah. Um, and it just I, it was a lot of. Work for me to finally grasp and, and understand how to use Docker versus how to use something like Homestead. Um, but yeah, I think like like Chris and Joe both said, understanding what what what's happening and, and how it interacts with your machine is um, one of the the bigger issues or hurdles.
0: Yeah, um, that's great, guys. And I think there's there's one note I wanted to say there. sparked a lot by what um, Joe is saying. So. The idea of cattle, not pets, I want to dig into that a little bit because it's something that I've talked a lot um, in a few different of my talks using kind of bigger language, and I wish I had used simpler language. Um, When I talked about some queue workers and stuff like that, I was using all these different words like idempotent and asynchronous, all this kind of stuff that I think that um, people lost a little bit of my message. So what I want to say is the more we build things that are not precious, Um, the better off we are. And I think that precious thing kind of deserves an entire podcast of its own. Um, When I was giving my lyric Laravel or Laricon talk a couple of years ago. I was talking about basically making sure that your queue jobs are, you know, not precious, meaning they don't expect that there are another queue jobs running. They don't expect that a particular job ran before or after them, and all this kind of stuff. And I think the same thing. Um, so I think that when I think about what what Joe was saying in terms of you know cattle, not pets, we're talking about make don't make them precious. And what that means is like don't have them so perfectly configured that if they you have to destroy it and spin it back up, it's a problem. Um, and one of the things we've run into a ton. With when we come, we as Titan come onto a project with um, existing developers. One of the first things we often have to do with them is to move them from precious servers to non-precious servers, from pet servers to cattle servers. Meaning, yeah, we know you've been using the same server for the last ten years, and everything's you know hinged on that. Um, but you are everything is so fragile. And when we're able to get people to point now, we're not often getting people to a point where they have like an AWS auto managed auto scaling thing where servers are spun up and down. You know, that's a dream. But I think that that's often a lot of work to get to. But the space in between, you know, my 10 year old precious server and that is to have your setup in such a way where there's documented minimal steps, preferably programmatic that get you from, you know, nothing to a functional version of your production environment or your staging environment. And I think that there's a parallel here and that's a little bit what we're talking about, you know, with these is like, how do I get from nothing to a functional local environment more quickly? And what does it look like when I have to destroy something and rebuild it? You know, in the valet world, I think the most common time I see that is people who are custom parking a whole bunch of individual folders. And just if anybody who doesn't know with valet, the two ways to do routing are one: you can tell a specific. Well, first of all, every Valet install needs to have a particular TLD. The default right now is .test. Um, so if you, you know, spin up a normal one, you're going to park a particular folder. Um, sorry, I think I'm getting my words wrong. Park you're a right. link, but basically, yeah. Um, so if you were to spin up install Valet right now and point it at your, let's say, your sites folder, because that's where mine are. Every single subdirectory under that would be served at the subdirectory name .test. Um, so that is a non-precious way of setting up valet. A more precious way is to individually link every single folder across your whole computer in all sorts of different places, such that if for some reason your valet configuration was broken, it's gonna take you a long time to get back to it. Go for the non-precious. Another one is uh, relying on the state of your MySQL database, whether it's in you know any of these particular tools and, and relying on the data of those being a particular state. And what happens if you lose all that data? If losing all the data in your local development environment is a problem, that's precious. If you can reseed all that data really quickly, that's not precious. And so I really appreciate that general idea that we want to get to things where getting a new computer or losing your MySQL database or having to restart your Homestead box or whatever else. Or like Jose said, he talked about having to shut down his Docker instances just when he doesn't need them to save memory. You know, granted, he does have a a storage volume that's persisting between, but like, let's try to shoot for, I I would just say for everybody, shoot for things being less precious because not only are there tons of problems that can be solved by your ability to... To un- unfreakingly just spin, unfreakoutingly just spin up a new version of whatever it is you're working with, but it also it's going to help you prepare a lot better for scale issues later. So obviously that's less of the case locally, um, but I just really point out that. Obviously it's not specifically about this episode, but I really appreciate you all kind of bringing that up. So. All right, Matt Rant, over. Back to you three. Uh, So now we've talked about common challenges that people run into. It did seem a little bit like some of your answers had to do with things that people need to know. But I do want to specifically call out that question. What is one thing... If, you know, if, if you've already said it, you can just answer it really briefly. One thing that you wish all the normal users of your system of choice, so you know, Valet, Homestead, and Docker, what do you, what's one thing you wish they all knew? And my guess is these answers are going to come a lot from I see people have a lot of pain because they don't know this thing, or I see a lot of people not using it because they don't know this thing. So what's one thing you really wish they knew about your system of choice? Chris?
1: I have a list of five things. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But it's not really to directly answer the why behind your question there are kind of okay. things that have come up as we've been talking i love your point about uh, holding things not too preciously one of the things i do with valet is i have my valet environment but my production environment may be slightly different but my cicd system is the one that's mm-hmm. very close to that production setup so i will catch issues Uh, day-to-day with general stuff. But then when I go to actually my continuous integration process, I've got something there that's really very close to the production server setup, and then I can catch all the uh, lost things in that process. So I have that safety net in that way. So I think that's a, a helpful way to kind of have the hybrid. It, one mm-hmm. of those actually has been Homestead as my uh, CICD kind of staging, testing, or sanity test before I go to production if I'm doing a very manual uh, deployment to production. So I'll, I'll often do that. <clears throat> as far as... Um, things I wish people knew. I, I really wanted to use this segment to talk about some tips and tricks. Very often, the right. questions people have about uh, customizing Valet, it's just they're not aware of some of the ways things can be done. The DNS mask is one of those things. If you wanted to change which DNS server your computer normally is resolving from, I like nowadays to use Cloudflare. Uh, I used to use Google's 8.8.8 uh Address, but now I use Cloudflare 1.1.1.1, and I can actually just drop in a custom config file in my uh, dot my home.config slash valet slash dnsmask.d directory. And in there I can put any number of .conf config files and those can contain all the directives for custom configuring of DNS mask. So I use that to put in whitelisted IP ranges and blacklisted IP ranges. And also, so that helps me deal with spam stuff and uh, undesired sites to visit and things like that specifically to get around ad tracking and stuff too, but I use it to switch which DNS server I want to use from time to time. Similarly, PHP configurations, the php.ini configs, it's in the uh, homebrew configuration area of PHP. It's, so that's slash var slash local slash Etsy slash PHP. And then your individual PHP version has a, its own conf.d directory. And in there, you can customize all the PHP ini and I configs by putting custom new files in there. Don't edit the master one. Add your own. Mm-hmm. And then you can easily spin up your new environment again by dropping these custom files in if you ever had to reconfigure your machine.
0: Chris, have you ever done video tutorials before?
1: I have done a few, yeah.
0: Would you be Would you be willing to consider doing a short video tutorial on like all the most common customizations that someone might do in valid Like all this. Keep. I want you to keep saying this, but I feel like this right here is a perfect video tutorial. Sure. Yeah, you're
1: right. Yeah. Even
0: to the point where I might want to try and get you on LayerCast doing it, but we'll see. Like a screencast, but, but just of some somehow, sort of, yeah, some yeah, way. Yeah. I feel like that could be really helpful. But sorry, keep going.
1: Yeah, totally makes sense. Another one that I wanted to talk about is the idea that you can have custom extensions in Valet. So these are the ability for you to create your own custom commands. So you simply leverage the built-in application uh, package that Valet is using itself, and you can create your own custom commands to do all kinds of things like configure MailHog or uh, configure, actually even do proxying or create your own custom commands that you might want to contribute as a PR to Valet. It's a Mm -hmm. great way to stage and pre Uh, temporarily test these things without having to edit all the core code some of the features that are in valet now started out like that recently uh, i worked with bo simonson to help create the valet proxy command which then allows you to proxy from valet into docker or into a traffic uh, cluster in order to do simplified routing and stuff so that valet's dns mask configuration can all still be there using the same tld so you don't have to have a custom tld for your docker environment to be able to do that sort of thing it's really handy you can see details about that in the pr i'm pretty sure that's in the docs now as well and then we have a diagnose command to the recently we worked together with some community oh, yeah. contributions for a diagnose command. So if you type valet diagnose, it'll go through and run all kinds of commands on your computer, copy all the output to the clipboard, and you can paste that then into a GitHub issue in order to help share the details about your operating system environment so we can troubleshoot things that might be going on. That's useful for me or anyone else helping you, but... If you actually go through and look at the details that it's collected for yourself, very often you can find some weird anomalies yeah. in there too. Um, and then That was the a last, fun
0: command to build, by the way.
1: It was, yeah. There's so many great things in there, uh, great learnings of the underlying system. So earlier yeah. I talked about people just not knowing the underlying details of how things work in your own computer, the internals of it. Um, This is a great way to understand all the different moving parts that are involved in terms of how Valet works. Yeah, totally. The last thing to mention is Valet has an uninstall command, and it has two phases. There's a dash dash force, which actually does the full cleanup. But if you just say Valet uninstall, it'll tell you all the things that you should look at to do and commands you can run to do the uninstall the dash dash force will do a forceful delete of things. So it'll get rid of custom configs and stuff too. And I would say that's probably about a 95% cleanup that it can do. There's things that are custom configs it can't know about that you might've done, but it will do a pretty aggressive cleanup for you. So if you need to reset things for whatever reason, that's a really helpful place to start. And then do a composer global update and get all its things in clean modern state and reinstall if you are really having some terrible troubles with it that's a bunch of tips and tricks
0: those are great tips and i really appreciate those um and i'm glad that you brought up the diagnose because one of the things so i i actually don't know if i've told the story i don't think i have yet of each of y'all and kind of your involvement here so jose told his his story a little bit about kind of what it looked like for him to come to docker and you know obviously i i actually don't know who made lara doc but i know that um You know, Chris Fidao made Vessel and Jose's been working at Titan for a while. But Jose's username everywhere is Jose Can Help. And one of the reasons he came to our attention before he worked at Titan is he was just so friggin helpful all the time. And so him kind of choosing to be someone, you know, who just kind of like loves teaching people this kind of stuff totally makes sense. And Joe, I actually remember talking to Joe at PHP. What's it called? What is the the Miami one? Uh, Sunshine Um, PHP. Sunshine PHP. Yeah, Yeah, years ago, talking about him just saying, you know what? I really want to contribute to the Laravel community. Kind of, what does that look like? And I was like, well, why don't you look around and find a project that makes sense to you? You know, where are you interested? And he talked about Homestead. And he just kind of went out and just said, all right, I'm going to contribute to Homestead. I'm going to be helpful in Homestead. And he did. And he now is at the point where he's, I I don't know if you're called the primary maintainer, but I certainly think of you the most when I think of Homestead. And, uh, you know, and Chris, so... Valet had been sitting kind of dead for a couple of years, not dead, tons of people used it, but basically, uh, you know, Adam uh, Adam Wathen and Taylor Otwell wrote Valet in a, a, you know, a fit of just, you know, amazing creation and then it was good enough for them and they just kind of didn't, you know, that they didn't have enough time and energy amongst all their other projects to really work on it because it was working fine for them. And so it just sat, you know, there for a couple of years growing in issues and I said, you know what, guys, would you be okay if I just kind of took over the maintenance of this? Problem is I don't have time nor the knowledge to really handle every single aspect of it. I at least was going to take the responsibility of responding to issues and I knew Chris from meeting him at Connie U before stuff like that but it just kind of happened such that more and more and more he became more and more helpful and it got from the point where you know, Chris would save my butt on something to the point where now, you know, I trust Chris more than I trust myself in knowing what's going on with valet stuff. So even though I'm the one officially merging stuff, you know, it's Chris's knowledge, Chris's expertise, you know, that is the one that's actually primarily responsible for the work that's happening in valet. So while I'm the official maintainer of valet right now, Chris is the real deal and he's the one who's making habits. So it's very cool to me that each of you three kind of has a different story but for each of you, that story starts with you wanting to help people. Like, I love that. That makes me really happy. And, you know, none of you were the original appointed or official person for each of these technologies, you know, but you have each kind of said, I want to help. I want to be someone who teaches other people. And that's why you are where we are. And I just, it just makes me really happy to see that. So I just wanted to note that real quick. Um, so before we move on, so thank you guys so much for your help to the community. All right. Awesome. So Joe. Uh, what do you wish everyone knew about your system of choice?
2: Yeah, so the the common thing that. Pe- that people seem to have problems with is is how does this vagrant thing work what is a vagrant box and i found a lot of value in kind of breaking down what is what are these first few things that happen when you spin up a vagrant box what, what is actually happening and so vagrant has a concept of boxes and if you've ever used vagrant you're probably familiar that this box is a huge download that took forever depending on your internet speed because some of these vagrant boxes can get pretty large um, homesteads currently clocking in around a gig and a half, uh, maybe a little bit more because we've, uh, we've bloated a little bit. Uh, we bloated up uh, about a year and a half ago and then we came back down and now we're starting to kind of bulk back up, but it's it's all about trade-offs and, and the features that we pack in there. So a lot, of this, a lot of what happens when you first spin up a Vagrant box, if you don't have the base box that is Homestead, when you try to spin up Homestead for the first time, Vagrant will go out into the internet and pull down, uh, which is uh, in a data store backed by S3, that uh, will pull down this base box for you. And your computer will download that base box and stick it in a hidden dot D folder in your home folder. And now the next time you spin up a vagrant machine, instead of downloading that box, it will copy that box from where it downloaded into your home folder into your project folder. So now your vagrant machine has is running a copy of that homestead image that is now your image. It is 100% yours. It's never gonna be used by anybody else. It's only ever gonna exist on your machine. Do what you want to it. Uh, I, I often tell people if you're interested in learning how Linux works or how web servers or PHP works under the hood, go play with Homestead because you can't break it. Worst thing you can do is You know, instructions unclear. I formatted my hard drive. You know, that's you you can destroy a a Vagrant machine and do all kinds of terrible things to it. And then you are two commands, Vagrant destroy and Vagrant up back from getting that machine right back into where it was, Uh, at least where it was when somebody handed it to you, as long as you (laughs) saved all your customizations. Right. So a lot of a lot of that is kind of making sure people are able to wrap their head around that. And when you do a Vagrant destroy, you delete the, the VM that was in your project folder, not the one that was in your vagrant uh, d folder in your home folder. That's how you can spin up these VMs and destroy them so frivolously where it's like, Oh, no big deal. I'm just going to nuke this VM. Or you're just feeling kind of angsty one day and you're saying uh, today's the day that I'm going to RMRF a server and let me do that in Homestead. So I keep my day job, uh, that sort of thing. So there's an the anger <laughs> management aspect to Homestead as well. It's like a punching bag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it doesn't <laughs> care. It, you know, it's not going to get mad at you for, for deleting it. Uh The other thing that I think uh, is super important to note about Vagrant is your experience with Vagrant will vary and is so much up to the provider you choose. Uh, The providers are the virtualization technologies, the hypervisors of sort. Um, There's Hyper-V, which is uh, native to Windows 10 Professional. There's Parallels, which is uh, macOS only. There's VirtualBox that is on every platform imaginable that uh, is a free product. Uh, The other two are paid. Uh, Also, uh, sorry, Hyper-V is free-ish, but it's paid as part of Windows, so not technically free. VirtualBox is free, uh, open source. Parallels is a paid product, and um, VMware is also a paid product. Something to note as well, if you're going to jump into the Vagrant ecosystem with VMware, because either your company is already heavily involved in VMware or you already have VMware licenses, you will need to buy a Vagrant VMware license which allows you to connect Vagrant to your VMware technologies or your products, whether that's Workstation or Fusion, what have you. Uh, A little bit of a downer there, but most companies that are using VMware are already writing huge checks to VMware, so it's just another line item. Not a big deal, but if you are a a personal developer just trying to spend a little bit of money to get started in this, just note VMware is a little bit more expensive to get into. Uh, If you're on macOS, I highly recommend checking out Parallels. Uh, small disclaimer, they do give me a open source license. Uh, so I get to use their software to develop Homestead on. I, if I, if they didn't give me a free license for doing Homestead, I would buy this product because that's how good of a hypervisor on Mac OS it is. Um, I wish it was multi-platform, but it's, uh, it's a really great hypervisor. The trade-off is the disk usage is a little bit higher than VirtualBox and VMware and some of the other providers. So it's kind of, it's, you know, there's no solutions. There's only trade-offs, uh, as much in virtualization as anything else that we do as software engineers. But yeah, so how vagrant boxes work and kind of the trade-offs with the pro- the providers is really the big thing that I wish more people uh, knew or were more aware of when when trying to diagnose or debug what their problems are with vagrant.
0: Um, not to dive too deep in this, but I've always just told everybody just go with VirtualBox, um, just because it's it's universal and easy and you know free. But I'm hearing you say that VirtualBox has some dismounting issues. So let's say money weren't a big issue, uh, would you say if you're on Mac use Parallels, and if you're on Windows use HyperV? Pretty much. There now, the the one pain point there is that HyperV uh
2: does not expose networking the networking stack, so you don't have the ability to. Uh, have Vagrant set your IP or network st- uh, stack in the VM due to limitations from Microsoft on Hyper-V. They just haven't exposed those APIs yet. Uh, so that is Got a it. pain point on Hyper-V. But I will say Hyper-V is the fastest Vagrant, um, or the va- fastest provider I've ever seen Vagrant run on. And my concerns around VirtualBox are mostly because there has been a long-standing bug in VirtualBox, uh, the 6.0 branch, as well as the 6.1 branch that um, causes um it's, it's essentially a file system latency issue on the shared file systems. Ultimately, it comes mm-hmm. down to you could actually have really weird issues happen when you do Composer install because Composer will assume, Composer will tell the file system that is being virtualized to, hey, write these files to this location, right? well. The file system will write the location, will write the data, then report to the operating system, okay, I wrote that data, but the file system driver hasn't actually written the data to the shared disk yet. So when Composer continues on to its next operation, it's trying to access files that aren't there. And that is a bug that is still in uh, VirtualBox that hasn't really been addressed because uh, I have not had success exposing... uh, the. This bug to anyone at VirtualBox who wants to listen. So it's kind of a, a trade-off, and that's kind of why I've really started backing off recommending VirtualBox to people is because it's almost to the point where it's more trouble than it's worth.
0: So let's say we were able to get somebody who listens to this podcast to get somebody at VirtualBox to listen and fix it. I would love If that one bug was fixed, would you say VirtualBox for everybody? Absolutely,
2: cuz that's the biggest that's the biggest okay. showstopper that I as the maintainer of Homestead can't solve, right? Because when somebody opens a, yeah. an issue on the Homestead repo, my job is is this something that Homestead can affect? Is this a thing that Homestead mm-hmm. can do? And more often than not, it's I don't have any access because it's somebody it's a, it's a, it's either a vagrant or it's a provider issue and unfortunately sure. we're bound to to you know a lot of other people's a lot of other developers products and commercial products and open source projects being successful for our project to be successful so yeah i would love right. to talk to a file system nerd uh, because i don't understand file systems at all uh, i i wish i'd had the ability to go contribute back to virtualbox but i don't
0: yeah and last question there, if somebody were to go with VirtualBox across the board and ran Composer, all their Composer commands on their host machine, is that solve the problem? Absolutely.
2: I am a big proponent of telling everybody, even though you're using Homestead, run NPM, run Composer, run all of that on your own machine, because I guarantee yep. you, you have more cores and more RAM on your host machine than you do in the Vagrant machine.
0: And I think that's why I've always been recommending it because we just kind of have that as a general policy anyway. Even if there wasn't that bug, it's just kind of like run all those things in your host machine. Okay, there, cool. So
2: all right. So that's sorry. One one last thing, really quick. There are for every two people that run into VirtualBox bugs, there's thousands that don't. So don't let this be a complete distraction. Of this, don't let this be a don't use VirtualBox. Just limit how much pain and you're able to tolerate from VirtualBox is my is my advice. Got it.
0: Got it. All right, Jose, on to you. What do you wish everyone knew about using Docker in development? Um, I think I would, I would like
3: people to understand how simple it can be. It, it doesn't need to be complicated. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be complex. Um, you can use Docker uh, really as a as a tool to help you do things. Um, one of the one example that I'll bring up is uh, during our Titan offsite onsite. Uh, this year, mm-hmm. um, we, we had a, a little hackathon, and I wanted to, to generate a, a Gorse video. If you don't know what, what Gorse is, it's a, a visualization of uh, editing a, a repository. So there's these little nodes that show up on the video, and, and everyone who touches a different node will show up on the screen. And I wanted to generate that. I've have Gorse installed locally on my machine, but something was just not working. I don't know what library, where, somewhere in my machine. Just mm-hmm. It wasn't compatible. And uh, instead of digging down and trying to figure this out, I saw that Gorse offered a, uh, a Docker image. So I literally pulled down the Docker image and within a couple of minutes was able to generate a video um, using yep. this. And it was it was so much easier and so much less hassle than me having to figure out what exactly was wrong on my local system. Using Docker like that is it's uh, it's fun and it, it kind of shows it, it really shows me how how simple it can be to use Docker to facilitate what I need to get done. And so it, it is um it is kind of overwhelming at first it, when you hear about Docker, Docker in production and, and shipping Docker and all this, like it, it can get very complicated, um, but it doesn't need to be that way. And I think that's yeah. one of the things I would love people to just understand.
0: That's great. Thanks guys. Those are fantastic answers on those um as always i can talk for hours but we do need to start wrapping up so i have two more questions for each of you uh the first one is is there any one last thing you'd like to talk about this topic and then the, the second one after that um which we'll ask after i get all three to the first question is what are some good ways for people to um to learn about this uh, articles or docs or tutorials or anything so first is there any one last thing you'd
1: like to cover that we haven't yet and that's for chris Yeah. So with Valet, one of the things I did kind of allude to this earlier, if you don't already spend some time getting to know Composer, get to know it. Understand Mm -hmm. how Composer works, especially uh, be aware of what's in your Composer Global configuration, and Mm -hmm. update your Composer Global regularly. So run Composer Global Update on a relatively regular basis. I run it pretty much weekly. I run Composer Self Update also weekly. Uh, I also recommend upgrading your homebrew on a regular basis. So run brew upgrade, I think it is. Yeah, brew update just updates the Git repo, but brew upgrade actually will install uh, pending updates that it Mm -hmm. knows about. And if you're using or need to use a much older PHP version, don't be afraid to use a hybrid of all the things we're talking about today. Use Homestead, use Docker, use whatever works best for what you need in the moment. And don't feel like you need to stay stuck to one because you just don't maybe understand the other. Give it a try. They're not scary. They're not difficult. They maybe feel scary, but there's lots of value in checking it out, seeing whether it works, and use the right tool for the right job. Thanks, Chris.
0: That's good. What about you, Joe? Anything else?
1: yeah
2: so like like uh chris was saying don't be afraid to uh to test anything or try out anything um especially with homestead it's really easy to reset it's really easy to uh it's really easy to break i mean you can you could break it as much as you want um i was talking about earlier that i do all kinds of terrible things to vms um they, they don't they don't care they're they're just cattle remember keep that in mind uh also if you want to play with docker and and you're new to homestead you can really confuse yourself by installing docker in homestead uh that is a feature we support Oh lord so uh which actually is probably better performance than docker desktop on mac os uh if that's a flame war we want to get into
0: no, <laughs> oh, now that is uh that is interesting yes
2: uh so so yeah don't be don't be afraid to to, to learn new things and play with new things uh it is something i always tell people especially if you're if you're curious about how a technology works or why you know if you're sitting there listening to all this and you're going why is that Joe guy so into Vagrant um, you know go play with it mm-hmm. go see go see what it's about and then you can make your mind up on how crazy i am
0: <laughs> either way i've already made my that's mind up too, on that yeah. but yeah great idea <laughs> and jose what about
3: you um, i i say yes same same as uh, chris and joe are saying it. try it out um, there's you know if, if you find that you you have any issues or come across something that, that's that's too confusing like my name says i'm there to help tweet tweet Jorge at me help. hit me up jose can help on twitter i'm i'm always there to uh give some some good advice so uh just try it out
0: yeah. And I, I know all, all three of these guys will be happy to answer your question. So I'll get their Twitter handles and websites and all that kind of stuff in just a second. But before we get there, uh, for each of you, what are some good places for people to go learn about this topic? And, uh, you know, and, and whether it's multiple articles, videos or just documentation, what what's the best place do you think to learn about yours? So, Chris?
1: Ballet's only real documentation is in the Laravel Docs. So, uh, go to the Laravel documentation page, and there's a whole section on Valet, and that's where we maintain it. If you see something that's missing there, yeah. feel free to open a PR and or open an issue in the Valet repo, and we'll talk about it, and we can collaborate on the right contribution to make to the Laravel docs, and you can have credit for that. So happy to support you in that process.
0: That's great. What about you, Joe?
1: Yeah, the Laravel docs are are
2: probably the best uh, source of getting uh, up-to-date on Homestead and figuring out Homestead. Uh, HashiCorp's uh, VagrantUp.com is the primary Vagrant site. You can learn a lot about Vagrant and how it works and how it works with providers uh, going through that website. Um, Yeah, and I'm also really active on the Laravel Discord channel. And there's a Homestead channel there that I monitor 24-7. I'm always around uh, if I'm not, I'm sleeping. So leave a message. I'll get back to you. But like, you know, like <laughs> Jose says, I feel like I feel compelled to go change my uh, Twitter handle now uh, to joke and help. Yeah. Too. I <laughs> feel <Yeah, you laughs> so overshadowed like by Jose here. Right. Uh, no, no, I mean, seriously, I love talking to Homestead users. I love seeing what people are doing with Homestead. I love going and browsing uh, the forks of Homestead that people don't realize that we can see what they're doing in some cases or when they open a PR against the wrong fork and they open uh, some some fun changes against the Homestead repo. <laughs> (laughs) is always i always enjoy that because i like to see what people are doing uh with this thing that i've put so much time and energy into so yeah feel free to reach out if you if you have any vagrant questions anything like that i always like talking about vms and virtualization all that fun stuff with people
0: great and jose
3: so uh i will absolutely plug chris vidal here Mm serviceforhackers.com has a a free course called dockerizing your application um, that, as well as shippingdocker.com, were two of the, the bigger resources for me to finally get me over that, that hump of just like, oh, it, it makes sense to me. Um, yeah. So th- those, those are great. Um, I do have a, uh, a guest video on Laracast talking about mm-hmm. managing your local development environment using Docker. Definitely check that out. And uh, I'm going to be posting some more videos to my own website at daytodaydocker.com. Um, mm-hmm. It has been a little quiet lately because of all the craziness that's going on, but uh, there will be some some more content uh, coming up there.
0: Yep, and we will link all those things in the show notes, everybody. Um, and a note in terms of Discord, there is a Valet Discord, um, but I will be honest that Chris and I both respond a lot more to GitHub issues than we do the Discord. So it's sort of something I check in every couple of weeks, not something I live in. So the better place is definitely GitHub issues for Valet. Um, so let's talk really quickly, one last thing before the fun moment of who created this. So I already acknowledged that Valet was originally created by Adam and Taylor. I assume that Taylor originally wrote Homestead. Um that's that's right, that, right? That it, was was, it was all yes. Taylor. It's not okay. I didn't think it was a pair pair thing. Um, and then so Vagrant, Hash and Homebrews by whoever the homebrew team everything like that. You know, so a lot of those. And you know, Docker is Duck Do- is Docker its own company? Yes. Okay, so doctors by that. So, so really the main two are just Valley and Homestead. just want to acknowledge the, the people who originally created those and then the work that they put into those. And, and I really appreciate you talking about Chris Fidau's work because, I mean, it would have made sense for me to add Chris onto this group as well. Chris has been so influential in terms of how the Laravel community has been thinking about servers for years. And I would recommend that anybody who's interested in anything DevOps, check out everything Chris does. The only downside and the only criticism I have of Chris Fidow is that he's not as good as I wish he was about marketing his stuff because he's too humble. <laughs> So I'm going to do it for him. Everything Chris Fidau has ever done is fantastic. And he should have, a you know, more people should read his stuff, except for that one article about hexagonal architecture, which should be burned <laughs> from the face of the internet. All right. So personal fun moment. Um, so I've got a quick question for each of you, which is what is your favorite beverage in the world that is non-alcoholic? And this can be the name of a specific beverage or a particular, you know, nuance or variant of it. So you can take a second and Chris, you can start when you're ready.
1: You know, this is going to sound maybe trite, and if you look at my physique, you might disagree with me, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of just a high quality protein shake with some greens in it and yeah. maybe some fresh veggies or fruit in it mixed it mixed together. It's one of the best energy boosts I find in the middle of the day huh. uh, or when I need to reset my creativity or something. And certainly when I'm exercising and stuff, it's, it, it fits, it just feels natural, but I I think that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, just a nice. good, like solid, it. healthy something to boost energy and sugar levels and nutrition.
0: I love it. Joe, you got one? Too
2: easy. Black coffee, man. <laughs> makes, make, makes my world go round.
0: How, how, is, how is your ideal black coffee brewed?
2: Um, I, I will take coffee almost in any way I can get it. Um, okay. I I do prefer, uh, the cold brew. I I used to do, or I, during the summer, once it gets a little bit warmer, I do cold brew in a, in a French press. Uh, just let kind of let it brew for about 24 hours. It's amazing. It's, it's one of my favorites. Uh, also there's some, there's a ton of different, uh, SAS or, uh, or services out there where you can get coffee from all over the world. I highly recommend, Uh uh, getting one of those services and exploring, uh, the realm of coffee.
0: And that was my next question for you is, do you have a particular region that you're a big fan of?
2: Yes, all of them. Yes.
0: <laughs> all of the ones I that have it. caffeine. Yeah. I love it. That's great. All right, Jose. Yeah.
3: Jo- Joe and I are going to get along just fine. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I I took a second to think about that question and I don't know why. Because coffee is like second life for me. Um okay but, yeah, but my my brewing, preferred brewing and source. My preferred brewing method is uh is pour over easily. I actually just purchased the Chemex. Um yeah. so I'm I'm diving into that a bit. Um but yeah, Chemex, French press, um pulled shots as a cappuccino or even an espresso. Like I I any way you make coffee, I'll enjoy it. It's uh yeah. it's a great, great drink.
0: Nice. And do you have a particular region that you love or you just kind of give me the coffee?
3: Yeah. No, any, any region, anywhere coffee is is good. Yeah.
0: I like it. Um I'm going to answer this one but I didn't think ahead of time so I feel kind of dumb cuz I'm the one who asked the question but I, I the answer would have been one thing up until about 3 months ago which was pour over you know V60 pour over from Yirgacheffe is is absolutely my favorite and chef has been my long, my favorite region for a long time and I'm not, I am a big coffee nerd but I'm not the type to nerd about regions so much except every single time I've been blown away by a pour over it's always been chef. and I went okay this is my region this is my thing <laughs> but I my doctor has me off caffeine right now and so i have been trying to explore um other options and it has made me realize that i have been a uh, sparkling water drinker since like a, a kid and I, you know there's this whole like hit, hot, hotness right now with all those like flavored sparkling waters the interesting thing is when i was a kid we would drink sparkling water a glass of sparkling water with like maybe an eighth of a glass of grape juice, uh, and all the time. Um, that was one of our main things. And, 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 you know, my mom would often do more grape juice and sparkling water, but I realized that I really like sparkling water with a little bit of flavor. And back in the nineties, you know, in the U S there was a ton of sparkling waters that had all this sugar and all this other crap in it. And I just sat there dreaming, like, what if one day somebody would make a sparkling water out of the bottle and all it has is just like a tiny little bit of fruit juice in it or something like that. So I actually do wish like the, all of the ones that are really popular right now had like a little bit of fruit juice versus like the smell of fruit juice in them but it's still better than anything that's been out there before so i will say that like the LaCroix and all those like i i laugh along with all the jokes about them just being you know like like somebody sat some sparkling water on a, a you know a mile away from an orange tree or something <laughs> i wish they had a drop of orange juice in them or whatever but i still like i realize sparkling water is one of my favorite things on the planet so Good that's answer. me thank you um, okay. So, um, for each of you, I'd like for you to tell me how can people follow you? What projects do you have going on? Even if you said them earlier, same again. And is there anything they can buy for you or anything you're building or any websites or email lists or anything like that? How can people keep up with you?
1: Sure. I am not currently building anything that, and have nothing for sale, <laughs> but uh, you can certainly follow me uh, on GitHub. I am DrByte, D-R-B-Y-T-E, and on Twitter, DrByteZC. Uh, that came from my ZenCart days. So absolutely, follow me. I'm happy to help as in any way I can. You'll not find me so active on Twitter, so GitHub is definitely the place to find me.
0: Okay.
2: Joe? Uh, Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Joe P. Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N. I also write monthly for the PHP Architect magazine, uh, which is a magazine for the PHP community. Uh, I write a column called The Workshop, where uh, every month I take a look at a a technology or a product and uh, kind of put it through its paces and kind of talk about what I like, what what works well how to do a thing i'm currently in the middle of a code igniter series where i'm uh, kind of showing off the new code igniter 4 stuff so it's kind of been fun to go back to some of my early code igniter days uh and revisit yeah. revisit some of that stuff uh the article i'm working on right now is uh implementing twig in code igniter 4 uh so that's been okay. uh, kind of challenging myself to get a little bit more into the front end and and uh make it sound like i know what i'm talking about and i'm getting there uh so I like yeah. It. So check out phparch.com uh, for PHP Architect Magazine. There's a podcast uh, you can subscribe to. Check out the magazine. There's books as well. Uh, full disclosure, my wife is one of their editors, so uh, I, I kind of am plugged into the PHP Arch pretty well.
3: Nice. I love it. And Jose? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at JoseCanHelp. I'm also going to start creating more content for uh, Docker-specific uh, local development stuff at daytodaydocker.com. And yeah, mostly just Twitter. That's that's where you'll find me. GitHub, same. Jose can help. Uh, pretty much any platform, if you search Jose can help, I'll probably be there.
0: <laughs> I love it. Um, thank you guys so much. And, and for everybody, all of these um, links will be in the show notes, plus everything we've talked about once I get this all edited together. And um, that's it for today. So all three of you, thank you so much for joining me. It was a total pleasure for having you guys. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right. See you all next time.